You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, and my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing Rightmove, Reckitt Benkiser, Centrica, Money Supermarket, Aston Martin, and Etsy. John, should we start with Rightmove? Yes. So Rightmove, the property portal listed on the FTSE 100, had their full year results out this week, with full year revenue rising 5% above pre-pandemic levels to £304.9 million. In comparison with 2020, revenue is actually up 48% when it chose to hand out discounts to estate agents during the COVID-19 crisis. Underlying operating profit came in at £231 million, which was 5% ahead of 2019. Rightmove did, however, note that total revenue growth was held back by a 10% reduction in revenues from new home developments, which, due to unprecedented demand, did not need to advertise so aggressively. Despite this, the main agency division saw revenue rise 7% to £224.5 million, with increasing use of their digital products by estate agents and price increases. Average revenue per agent was up 12% to £1,155, whilst client numbers remained broadly flat. Other revenue rose 24% to £30.4 million, which increased demand for data services, products, the surveyor comparison tool, and additional products. Operating margins were flat at 74%, although well ahead of 66% in 2020. Free cash flow came in at £194.3 million, with net cash of £43 million. The group expects the housing market to normalise after a period of exceptional demand, but added that it's not materially impacted by the property market cycle, other than in the most extreme circumstances. The group also confirmed a final dividend of 4.8p, taking the total to 7.8p for the year. In terms of valuation then, Rightmove has a market capitalization of £5.4 billion and trades at just under 26 times earnings, which is broadly in line with the 10-year average. The shares currently yield 1.3%. I thought these results were excellent and ahead of the pre-pandemic levels, which is critical. Average revenue per estate agent was up 12% and the operating margin remains at an incredible 74%. They do have immense pricing power and they also I think can probably sell more of their premium packages to the clients and as a market leader they also have a lot of the valuable data which they're only just beginning to monetize so I'm currently shareholder and pleased to hold on to them at the current levels. Sam what are your thoughts on these results? Virtually identical to you I don't have a huge amount to add besides re-emphasizing I mean, the two things that stood out to me, which you mentioned when you summarised at the end, revenue and operating profit being up on 2019, I think that's very good. They did have a big drop last year, but like we said when we covered it, the drop was voluntary because they decided to cut prices because they knew they needed the agents, the letting agents to survive. And then the other thing, like you say, is the operating margin at 74% is just ridiculous. It's really, really good. And the other thing I like about the business is it is just a monopoly. If they decide they want to raise prices next year, the agents are just going to have to pay it. It's that simple. And then, like you say, they've got the other revenue because they can use their data now. I don't know how big that can get, but it's good that they're getting another revenue stream. I think the valuation as well, 26 times earnings, it's definitely not cheap, but 
I don't think you could expect to get such a high quality business on the cheap like that. And as well, when you it is a monopoly, effectively, I think that I really like it. I think we both own it and I'm also very happy with these results. Excellent. Okay. On to a company that you don't own, Reckit. No, you own Reckit though, don't you? I do. <laughs> Should right. I be pleased? Well, I'd, uh, <laughs> I was actually a bit negative on this one on my notes. Okay. So. Yeah, so Reckitt have come out with their full year results. And for anyone who doesn't know Reckitt, the brands include Dettol, Silit Bang, Durex, Finish, Neurofen, Vanish, and Strepsils, and then lots of others as well, actually. So they've come out with full year results and they've reported underlying revenue of 12.9 billion, which excludes the Chinese infant nutrition business that's now being sold. This was up 3.3% on a constant currency, like for like basis, and was ahead of expectations. Performance was driven by improved pricing and sales mix, though volumes also rose slightly. Excluding the infant formula China business, underlying operating profits fell 2.6% to 2.9 billion. And that was largely due to cost inflation in the region of 11%. The group's targeting light for light revenue growth of between 1 and 4% for 2022, despite the CEO warning of an unprecedented inflationary environment, operating margins are expected to grow. E-commerce now makes up 12% of total revenue, which is an 85% increase on 2019. The groups offloaded the, I don't know how you pronounce it, Shoal brand, mm. entered the US pain treatment market and plans to sell its E45 business for 200 million. As mentioned earlier, the Chinese infant nutrition is gone, but that was sold for 1.3 billion, which is a fraction of what they actually paid for it. So that's not been a particularly good move for shareholders. If we break down the results by segment in hygiene, which makes up 45% of total sales, reported revenue growth was up 7.5% to 5.9 billion, and that reflected volume growth and improved price mix, with list sales sales growing in the high single digits. Underlying operating profit fell 1.3% to 1.4 billion as higher raw material costs weighed on margins. In health, which makes up 35% of total sales, Revenue was broadly flat at 4.6 billion. Volumes declined 2.1% due to lower debt or sales, although they were almost entirely offset by a 2% improvement in price mix. A weak cold and flu season and higher costs meant underlying operating profits fell 5.5% to 1.2 billion. Excluding the Chinese infant nutrition business, nutrition revenue was up 0.6% to 2.3 billion. Volume declines were more than offset by a 5.5% improvement in pricing mix. Underlying operating profits grew 2.4% to 356 million. The disposal of the infant nutrition Chinese business caused around 40 million pounds of exit costs. Free cash flow declined from 3.1 billion to 1.3 billion. That was expected given the reversal of the working capital movements that we'd had in the prior year due to COVID. And the group ended with net debt at 8.4 billion, which is down from 9 billion in 2020. In terms of the valuation, it's currently trading at a P ratio of 18.9, and that compares to a 10-year average of 19.4, and the prospective dividend yield well, is 3%. My thoughts were, so the shares actually rose 4.6% after the announcement. I think that's partly because margins are expected to grow in 2022, despite the cost inflation. I do question why... Costing why why well, I, I do question why underlying operating profits fell two point six percent in the current in the year we've just had, and I think that 
that cost inflation of 11%, I think there was an opportunity to pass that on that hasn't been taken. So if I was a shareholder, I think on the surface, it's quite good that they obviously had a bit of a bumpy year in 2020 and well, revenues actually up slightly on it. But I think the operating profit falling, I'd be disappointed with that because I think those cost, that cost inflation could have been passed on. I also think that a P of 18.9 is quite expensive. And I know we covered it last week and we're quite critical of it. I know Unilever's got its own set of problems, but I would rather pay for Unilever. I think that's, I don't even know what the P is at the minute, maybe like 16 or something. It's got a higher dividend or a higher dividend yield. And I think it's got better brands as well. And I think with Unilever, the growth rates are pretty similar. It's not like you're getting any better growth from Reckitt, but you are paying a bit of a premium for it. Despite Unilever's problems, I would just rather have Unilever, I think. What are your thoughts on these results in the company, John? I like the company overall. I think it does have strong brands. I think the results are probably a bit disappointing, but it, to some extent, as, as you highlighted, that had been priced in. So there's a bit of a relief with the results that did come through. I think probably at the current rating, it does feel a bit expensive for what it is. As I'm an existing shareholder, I don't think I'd be in the position where I'd want to sell, but I'd hope after offloading the infant nutrition business, perhaps they could rejuvenate some of their existing brands. And then if if there were a sensible acquisition to be made for sort of, I suppose, a faster growth uh, personal care product, maybe go for that. But at the moment, probably just sit tight on them. Do you prefer it's Unilever at the minute? Uh, no, I do prefer, I do, I prefer, I probably prefer Unilever, but I've got a decent number of Unilever shares, so just a little bit more diversification. Um, like we say, Unilever does have its own set of issues, which it, 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 yeah, it, it absolutely does. I think both of the, I think both of the companies could be much better, but they just, yeah, their full potential does need to be unleashed. It's just a little thought I've had now. But the Reckitt Benkiser market cap, it's like it's forty something billion. It's forty five billion. Obviously, Unilever tried to buy the the Glaxo brands. <laughs> 50 billion i think Reckitt has much better brands than, than glaxo did i don't think they're as good as unilever's mm. would you rather see hypothetically would you rather unilever pay 50 billion for Reckitt or 50 billion for the glaxo brands mm, probably i, I mean I, I prefer the um the racket brands actually i think they're better yeah as a whole as a whole yeah, that's just a thought that popped into my head. I don't think they're doing Neurofen, yeah, Neurofen over Panadol every day of the week. <laughs> Shall we move on to Centrica? Yes. Okay. So, so all, all the companies that I own. So Centrica is the owner of British Gas, and they had their full year results out this week with full year revenue up from twelve point three billion pounds to fourteen point seven billion pounds, with growth in all regions apart from Norway. Underlying operating profits were up 112% to £948 million, with higher commodity prices and cost savings. In the British Gas Services and Solutions Division, revenue per customer rose 1% to £361, but with higher wage and material costs, along with COVID-19 expenses, cost per customer rose 13% to £338. Moreover, there was a 4% decline in the number of customers and operating profit in the division fell 37% to £121 million. Interestingly, with many competitors and challenges 
challenges going out of business, British Gas Energy saw a 5% rise in residential customers, with cost per customer falling 9% as a result of restructuring and efficiencies. This was helped by colder than normal weather and the group reselling excess gas and electricity back to the market at higher prices. Operating profit in the division rose 44% to £118 million. In the Centrica Business Solutions division, energy supplied rose 14% with rebound in demand after the relaxation of COVID-19 restrictions. Despite this, the division still reported a £52 million operating loss, but better than the £132 million loss last year. Capital expenditure in the Irish division was £37 million higher, with issues at the Whitegate gas station leading profits down 33% to £28 million. The energy marketing and trading division saw operating profits fall from £174 million to £70 million, with lower LNG profits and a loss from the sole pit gas field. In the upstream division, profits were up 636% to £663 million, with higher oil and gas prices offsetting lower production volumes and a loss in the nuclear business. The group are fi finishing up the restructuring effort with a sale of direct energy and agreement for the sale of Spirit Norway in the second quarter. Free cash flow was up 71% at £1.2 billion, whilst net cash stood at £680 million, compared with net debt of £3 billion last year. In terms of valuation, Centrica has a market capitalization of £4.5 billion and trades at just over 10 times earnings. Currently doesn't pay a dividend, but Chris O'Shea, as chief executive, has said that they should soon be in a position to restart paying a dividend. He also announced that Centrica was repaying £27 million in furlough money and that he was giving up his £1.1 million annual bonus. Overall, I thought these results were encouraging, but the business did still have some serious or did have serious tailwinds behind it, underpinning these results after being ravaged by the pandemic and low commodity prices in 2020. The balance sheet significantly improved and the business is becoming more streamlined. Saying that, the profits are coming disproportionately from upstream and a price cap is still in place, putting serious pressure on the consumer division. And I'm not sure how well that's going to play out going forward, because while it was well hedged last year with the Ukraine crisis ongoing, is it still as well hedged going forward? And I think also with a business like this, you would expect a dividend. But given the cost of living crisis, you wonder whether there's, it, the company's going to be held back for political reasons, which is not good if you're a shareholder or a pensioner. I do own the stock. I probably won't be selling it, but I definitely wouldn't be adding to it at the moment. Sam, I know you're not a fan of uh, Centrica or British Gas, but what, what did you think of these results? They're better than last year's. <laughs> they couldn't, they, they couldn't be much worse than last year's. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult because I think on the surface, some of those numbers are quite good. But like you say, it's, it's had a very, very easy comparative. 10 times earnings is all right, I think, for it, but it's... It's so difficult to say if it'll maintain it. Because I think one, I think you, one thing we've talked about off air of it is one thing that's happened is the price cap has actually benefited it because lots of lots of its competitors have been going bust. So when that gets raised, mm. will you start to see that decline kick in again? So it's I don't know if if from this point it's sort of I guess if if the decline has actually stopped and it stays at ten times earnings, it's probably all right. Mm. But it's just so difficult 
to say whether the decline has stopped or whether it's just going to start again when the when the price cap rises. And then yeah. another thing, again, you, you mentioned off air is the best performing part is the bit they've been trying to get rid of. So yeah, no, quite. Going back to the price cap, I would wonder whether that's something that's going to stay for the long term because it's clearly not working if you've got so many of those challenges and so many of those energy sort of consumer facing energy companies which are going bust and then the cost of them going bust is then being added to all of our bills whether they're going you know the government are going to conclude that the price cap isn't working it's not sustainable and then you're going to see the return of you know these companies making more profit and being able to raise that margin. Because I think they're, well, they are capped at the moment by how much or how much profit or even loss that they can that they can make. So if that does change, and if through the price cap you've sort of made a lot of those competitors extinct, you inherit the com- customers, albeit at a loss initially. Whether you then it, it then does essentially go back to the big six and British Gas being one of the beneficiaries of that and whether people who have had a negative experience by their energy company going bust are going to be happier with a bigger name bigger brand like british gas i don't know maybe wishful thinking on my part uh, i think the price gap is a good example of the law of un- unintended consequences in action <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right rather than your local community group going and setting up an energy company and uh yeah no experience in the business and as we as we've seen it's uh, can be very volatile and quite complex and you probably do need professionals running it yeah i don't really have much more to say on it to be honest no on to well onto a company you own now money yeah. supermarket yes continuing the energy theme as well <laughs> so money supermarket have come out with their full year results and revenue declined percent 316.7 million adjusted EBITDA declined 7% to 100.5 million however operating profit was actually down 15.6% so I'd, I'd go with the 15 I'd go with the operating profit decline rather than the adjusted EBITDA decline profit after, after tax was down 25% 52.1 million earnings per share were down 24% to 9.8p Operating cash flow is down 22% to 65.7 million. The company's moved from a net cash position of 22.8 million to a net debt position of 59.6 million. However, this debt was taken on for the Quidco acquisition and the dividend has been held at 11.71p a share. So as mentioned, the company acquired Quidco during the year, which basically gives the company a new, a new segment of cashback. Travel supermarket merged with isolali.com, which positions the groups better for the the group better for the travel recovery and that revenue being down eight percent it's actually down eleven percent if you exclude quid co so it's just eleven percent down if you it's all parts of the business that were there last year home services was heavily impacted by wholesale energy to prices which i'll get into a bit later insurance performance was softer and the money performance was strong the gross profit margin was up four percentage points which was driven by more efficient customer acquisition and improved conversion in car insurance and borrowing. The operating cash flows of 65.7 million were strong, although lower cash conversion reflected one-off working capital outflows. Net debt reflects the purchase of Quidco in November, as mentioned. As I mentioned, the dividend has been maintained, which management said reflects a good cash conversion and the confidence in the growth prospects. So if we look at the revenue by segment for the year as a whole, 
insurance was down 8%. And for the quarter, final quarter, it was down 2%. And that now makes up 47% of the business. The money segment was up 20% for the year overall and 45% for the final quarter. And that now makes up 25.8% of the business. Home services was down 34% for the year and 64% for the quarter. And that now makes up 11.3% of the business. Travel was down 32% for the year and up 184% for the quarter. And that makes up 2% of the business. And cashback is only new in the last few months. And that makes up 13.6% of the business. There are quite a number of interesting points in the slides. So in the insurance segment, premiums have been declining in 2021. It looks like from about, well, it looks like in the final quarter, that trend has now started to reverse and car insurance premiums are starting to go back up again. And that's the same for home insurance as well. On the energy side of the business, which was reflected in the really poor home services results, there've been no switchable tariffs from October. So that side of the business, the whole energy side of the business is basically giving revenue of nil at the minute there's no fixes below the price cap and there's nothing they can really do with that business until the price cap goes mm. up yeah so the number of switchable tariffs for each quarter of the of the year in q1 there were 45 up to 51 in q2 down to 31 in q3 down to zero in q4 and in q1 they generated revenue of 13.8 million so it was responsible for about 25 percent of the business and then that's just that's just mm. completely gone. However, they did say that they're confident in the medium-term growth prospects due to still being a competitive number of co providers and customer demand still being strong, and they have the leading energy tools to capitalise on the eventual recovery. As I mentioned, the gross margin increased 4%, and it now stands at 70.4%. And they've put that down to the... Well, some of the things they've put down to include the optimization of pay-per-click bidding strategies, strong conversion in car insurance, Recovery in borrowing and banking conversion as lending criteria loosen and products availability improved. And they've noted that there's an ongoing shift to mobile and the amount of business coming from, from tablets is declining. They've talked about in the outlook for the 2022 year, they expect to hold the recent gross margin on the core improvements, but because of the mix changing, so the quidco has come into the business and that has lower gross margins. So because of that coming in, there's going to be about a 5 percentage point headwind for the gross margin in 2022. And they expect the 2022 adjusted EBITDA to increase to around 2020 levels. It would have been nice if they commented on the operating profit because the thing with adjusted EBITDA is you can adjust it to whatever figure you like. So it doesn't really tell us much at all. 19% of active users are inquiring in two or more channels now, and that's down from the pre-pandemic high of 23%. And the Quidco business, which was acquired during the year, is the UK's number two cashback site, and that has... £59 million of revenue and £7.9 million of EBITDA. And there's over 4,500 merchants using it, which the users get the savings from. Each user averaged 11 purchases for the year. And in terms of the KPIs, the savings made by customers declined from £2 billion in 2020 to £1.6 billion in 2021. Net promoter score remained about the same at 72. The marketing margin increased from 57% to 61%. Number of active users fell from 11.5 million to 10 million. I'm not too concerned about this, given that the energy part of the business has entirely disappeared now. And the revenue per active user has increased from £16.19 to £16.90.
and also the return on capital has now fallen to 23.6%, which is still very impressive. In terms of valuation, the business is now trading at a PE ratio of 17 and has a dividend yield of 5.64%. I thought these were decent results given, I mean, they're obviously, they're obviously poor results, but it's results, poor results due to factors that are entirely outside of the business's control. I thought they were about as good as they could have been given the circumstances and the year they've had. I think management are doing a good job. I like how diversified the business is. I like the Quidco acquisition. I think that fits in well. I think at a PE of 17, it's probably now quite fair at the current price. But if the energy does come back and the insurance side of the business is picking up and the travel comes back more as well, I think it's actually looking quite cheap. I don't know what's going to happen with those parts of the business. So I'm quite happy to continue holding my shares, but I'm not going to be adding to this. John, what are your thoughts on these results in the business? I mean, I, I think they're probably, they're maybe slightly better than expected, but we, we knew what was going to happen with the energy. And like you say, I think there's probably quite a lot of the bad news is baked into that share price, but possibly not all of the good news. And I would expect at some point, probably the, the price cap to go. And at some point, 25 well what was 25 percent of the business to return and like you say the other other sectors of the business are growing too so i think it's possibly worth paying the current 16 times earnings good enough for the watch list yeah i think so i think it would probably go mine yeah um oh. I, I i do i do quite like it whether i'd be brave enough to, to to buy it just at the moment that that's probably the difficulty i bought boohoo recently and as expected, that's been a bit of a roller coaster. So, yeah, uh, I'll have to build up some courage, maybe. But yeah, on the watch list. Ah, that's more positive than I expected from you. Actually, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't. It, I is, don't a, it is a it. very, it is a very good business, actually. Um, yeah, especially in terms of, I mean, the return on capital is actually quite low this year, but I think I think it's been traditionally, it's, yeah, it's been over thirty percent in previous years. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but it could have been like about forty, even or something silly, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it a good business. Right, shall we yeah. move on to a business that's possibly not so good? <laughs> yeah, I thought you might say that. So yeah, Aston Martin Lagonda, the car maker, had their full year results out this week with revenue rising 79% to £1.1 billion, with the number of wholesale vehicles nearly doubling and the average selling price rising. Compared with pre-pandemic levels, revenue was up 12%. EBITDA came in at £137.9 million compared with a £70.1 million loss in 2020. Total vehicle sales were up 82% to 6,178, which included 98 specials. This reflected growth across all regions, with Asia, Pacific and the Americas more than doubling to 1,815 and 1,984 car sales, respectively. These sales were also helped by strong SUV demand. SUV sales were up 98% and accounted for 48.6% of all vehicles sold. Sport sales were up 114% to 1,479 sales and GT sales grew 42% to 1,589 sales. And Aston Martin Special Edition car sales more than doubled. Aston Martin also launched their first hybrid DBX vehicles in China in the final quarter. 
In terms of average selling price, this rose from £136,000 last year to £150,000 this year, including the special edition cars, and demand continued to outstrip supply. Free cash outflow was £123.2 million compared with an outflow of £539.3 million last year. Net debt rose from £727 million to £893 million with a cash outflow and the increased borrowing. In terms of valuation, the company has a market cap of £1.16 billion and trades at just 2.1 times sales. I thought the numbers were encouraging with the development of the SUV and topping their short-term goal of 6,000 vehicles, but it's a hugely competitive and capital-intensive industry, and it's not going to be easy for them to meet their revenue target of £2 billion with underlying cash profits of £500 million by 2024 to 2025, which would equate to selling around 10,000 vehicles, 66% ahead of what they're predicting for this current year. And that's not to mention the balance sheet with cash outflows of £123 million and debt of £893 million. And since relisting in 2018, the shares are down over 90%. It's not one that I'd be buying, although I, I, I do like the products. Sam, what are your thoughts? I think it's either going to go bust or get acquired. I think it's really Yeah, I, I, and ha- I'm not sure how many times. it's. I think it's been bust at least nine times in the past. Someone's always going to pay for that brand, though, aren't they? It, it... <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's, it's just, I mean, the, the numbers seem quite impressive, but it's up against very easy comparatives. Yeah. And they talk about underlying cash profits, but if you look at the figures, it's actually a loss. Mm. It's not, you can, you know, you can talk about the EBITDA and stuff, but it's, yeah. it's losing money. And yeah. it's losing money with a big pile of debt that it's not going to be able yeah. to pay off. The interest is going to keep getting worse. Yeah. I just, and then as I've seen as well, so the tar- management are targeting revenue of two billion with underlying cash profits of five hundred million by twenty four twenty five. God knows what the operating profit will actually be because underlying cash profits doesn't pay off the debt if you're still losing money, and that would mean they need to sell ten thousand vehicles a year, which is sixty six percent more than what they're expected to do this year. I do wonder whether there'd be any dilution in the quality of the brand from doing that, mm. and then also it says here that. They've been quite slow with electric vehicles. That's going to be very expensive. So the underlying cash profits might be quite high, but if they're going to need to borrow more to develop the electrics, it would just, I think this is a business that would make much more sense as part of like Volkswagen or something like like one of those big, big car yeah. makers. I don't think it, it makes sense as a standalone business. And it all it already feels like the cars are becoming less special because certainly with the petrol cars they're putting mercedes engines in the aston martin which to me takes away a bit from it and takes away from that brand so i don't know it probably makes sense certainly from on a spreadsheet doing that but also like you say it's sort of diluting the quality of the of the business it's i mean i don't know it's it's not a company that i would ever invest in i don't understand I mean, I've not. This is the first time I've ever looked at this business. But when it listed three years ago, I don't. I mean, it's got a one billion market cap now, one point one six. It must have been. Was it over twenty billion when it listed? It just Let's seems. Or is it? Have they had to? That can't be right. It can't. Have had a it might have. It, it must have diluted the shareholders, yeah. mustn't they? Um, There's no way. But it's either way. It's just I don't know why 
you would want to own it. I, I think it would be quite. I mean, it's not. It's not our style, but I think it would maybe make a lot more sense as something you'd consider shorting rather than buying. Because mm. um, I do genuinely. Like, I think if you look at the balance sheet, the performance of the business, the fact that they're going to have to invest quite a lot. Firstly, to get the production capacity up, and secondly, for the transition to electric. I just, I, yeah. I, in three years' time, I'd be amazed if it's still listed i think it's either going to be bust or it's going to have been acquired by one of the big car manufacturers i certainly would not consider buying shares yeah do you know how much the ipo costs were no <laughs> 136 million pounds oh yeah uh, see yeah well at least someone's done well out of this <laughs> Investment um, bankers have done that. Yeah. Um, probably, what, how, so how did it end up IPO? Was it private equity before that? Um, I'm just I'm just having a look, actually. Um, so I think the market cap, that four billion when it listed. They did very well there. Yeah. Just, well, out of interest, should we just have a look at what Ferrari's trading at? Yeah, can do. It's got the ticker race, hasn't it, Ferrari? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ferrari has a market cap. This is in dollars, $39.15 billion. Does it have earnings? It does. Wow. And <laughs> apparently, apparently 40, trading at 42 times earnings. I'm happy to check that. I mean, that seems quite expensive to me, but I don't know. If it's on the back of depressed results, I guess. Yeah. Let's see if it's... Yeah, maybe if it was on normalised ones. I think Ferrari's got a better brand than Aston Martin as well. It's got the racing yeah, side as yeah. well. Yeah, well, um, Aston Martin has now has gone into Formula One. Yeah, but it's, it's not. Ferrari. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. The Ferrari, the growth looks pretty decent for Ferrari. It looks like over the last few years. Yeah, it looks like earnings per share fell off a cliff um, recently. So I think that P is what are they using adjusted or something? But either way, probably a much better business. It certainly can't be any worse. Yeah, that's for sure. It is a nice product, even with the Mercedes engine. Yeah, that's right. They probably won't break down as much. Well, yeah, so maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, okay. Um, How does that actually work then? Because it's not it's not owned by Mercedes, so they're just literally buying the engines off Mercedes. Yeah, I think they have... I'd, I'd have to look it up more, but I think they have some sort of partnership deal with them. So, yeah, they are just essentially buying the engines from Mercedes. Oh, right. So you are just you're just buying just buying a chassis, really, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they tell you they tune it differently, and it's you know it's British at heart, but I don't know. <laughs> but okay. interestingly, Vol- Volkswagen. There's rumours that they're spinning out Porsche as a brand. I don't. I'm, but I think Porsche Porsche must sell more units, mustn't they? Because it's sort of once you made a bit of money, everyone gets a Porsche. Then <laughs> when you've made a lot of money, then you start getting like the Bentleys and stuff. Yeah. It's like the yeah. start of someone who's earning good money. Yeah. <laughs> I think, but back in, was it back in the no- mid-noughties, did Porsche not try to acquire Volkswagen? And then... It rings a bell. Ended up going, but they were the smaller company and then acquired by Volkswagen eventually when they were in dire straits. So um, why did Volkswagen want rid of Porsche? Because like, based know. on what I, seem I, asking, I, it seems like better suited inside one of the bigger ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's maybe it's not good. Well, I suppose maybe they hope it goes away Ferrari. Yeah, or maybe they don't make any money inside the bigger ones either. So yeah, they, so it's the bigger just, ones just yeah. want rid of them. But you sell the the idea, the IPO is like it can be like Ferrari. 
Yeah. Not like Aston Martin, but anyway, we'll see. I think Porsches probably would be more similar to Ferrari than an Aston. I think the Porsche may be brand, and they must sell more units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I agree. And they are very, very good products. But anyway, yeah. On to the American company week, Etsy. Yeah, Etsy. Etsy have come out with their Q4 and full year results. The performance highlights from the fourth quarter include consolidated gross marketplace sales, which I will call GMS from now on because it is going to be used a lot. So that's gross marketplace sales was a record $4.2 billion. And all these figures are in dollars, which was up 16.5% year over year. Etsy's marketplace GMS was also a record 3.8 billion, up 11.8% year over year and 154% on a two-year basis. The record fourth quarter GMS was driven by an early and strong kickoff to the holiday season in October and extended strength through December. Several exciting holiday records were set, including 8% year-over-year growth in GMS per buyer on Black Friday, a record 2,000 orders per minute on Cyber Monday, and nearly half a million seller shops participating in the cyber sales, up 27% from last year. Etsy's marketplace GMS per active buyer on a trailing 12-month basis was $136, up 16% year-over-year. On a two-year basis, this was up 31%. The Etsy marketplace acquired 10 million new buyers in the fourth quarter, the highest level of new buyer acquisition since the fourth quarter of 2020. They also reactivated 6.8 million buyers who had not purchased in a year or more. Habitual buyers, which are defined as those with six or more purchase days and a spend of over $200. In the trailing 12 months, they grew 26% year over year and remain the fastest growing cohort. On a two-year basis, habitual buyers grew 224%. Non-US GMS for the exit marketplace was 44% of the overall GMS and increased 20% year over year. The revenue was 717.1 million. So the GMS is just a total amount sold on the platform, not Etsy's take of it. So revenue was 717 million for the quarter, up 16.2% year over year, with a take rate of 17.1% for Etsy. Net income was 161.6 million, up 8.8% year over year. And diluted earnings per share were $1.11. They ended the year with 1.1 billion in cash and equivalents. And they also repurchased $68 million in stock. We break the results down a bit more. GMS for the quarter was up 16.5%. However, for the year, it was up 31.2%. Revenue for the quarter was up 16.2%. And for the year, it was up 35%. Marketplace revenue was up 14.3% for the quarter. And for the year, it was up 34%. Services revenue was up 22% for the quarter. And for the year, it was up 38%. Gross profit was up 8.9% for the quarter and 32.8% for the year. Operating expenses were up 19.9% for the quarter and 44.5% for the year. And net income was up 8.8% for the quarter and 41.3% for the year. Active sellers were up 72.3% for the year to 7.5 million. And active buyers were up 17.6% for the year to 96 million. Percentage of the sales that are coming from mobile went increased from 61% to 65%. There were a few things in the slides. Yeah, so 53% of all active buyers and 37% of new buyers who made a purchase in 2020 returned to make a purchase in 2021. 49% of 2021 active buyers had over two purchase days, which was up, 48, up from 48% in 2020 and 41% in 2019. 
the gross marketplace sales per active buyer for the trailing 12 months hit $136 in Q4. Etsy announced that they'll increase their marketplace transaction fee from 5% to 6.5% from 11th of April 2022. They have given the GMS for some of the brands they own, which is Reverb, which is a brand for musical stuff that had GMS of 948 million for the year. Depop had GMS of 294 million. However, they only acquired that during the year. So that's, those aren't full figures. And ELO7 or LO7, I don't know how you pronounce it. And that's basically Etsy in Brazil. And that's 32 million, which again is partial year figures because they acquired it during the year. The number of non-US active buyers reached a record high of 31 million in Q4 of 2021. And the repeat buyers is up 121% over two years and habitual buyers is up 224% over two years. Habitual buyers make up 9% of active buyers, but they represent 45% of the 2021 GMS and habitual buyers is growing very quickly. So it's up from 1.7 million in 2017 to 8.1 million in 2021. In terms of the valuation, the business has actually come down quite a bit recently. It's, it's actually the, S, I saw a stat today, it's the S&P 500's worst performing stock for 2022. It's down 47% and it now trades at a P ratio of 43. And it actually has an operating cash flow yield of 3.4% now. Firstly, I think it's a very good quarter. I think it's a very, very good year. I think on the back of the the year, it was up against some extremely tough, tough comparatives. So I think I think to grow revenue 31% for the or 35% for the year and net income 41% on the back of those COVID figures, I think is fantastic. I would not have expected to, them to have a year to have had a year this good. I thought it would have been more of a year of consolidation, and that's not really happened. So I'm very, very pleased with them as an Etsy shareholder. And I think the valuation is pretty cheap now. I think for the numbers it's putting up and how big this business, I think, can potentially get, I think a P of 43 and an operating cash flow yield of 3.4%, I actually think is quite reasonable. John, what are your thoughts on these results and Etsy's valuation? I mean, it seems like an incredible business and incredible results. Do you think it's just the market reacting to, and perhaps it was just overpriced before in 2020, well, 2021, and hence why we're seeing this pullback in 2022? In terms of the valuation, probably a little bit too expensive for me to feel comfortable buying shares, but I appreciate that the numbers are phenomenal. But yeah, what's your your, uh, take on the market's reaction to it? I think it's just been pulled down with like a lot of the tech step, the tech stocks have pulled back. Obviously a P of 40 is much more reasonable than a P of 80. Um, mm. I was, I was perfectly happy holding it at those higher, higher valuations. It's, I mean, it's about a three bagger from when I first bought. And then I actually topped up at some point last year at around the current price. I don't know. It, I, I just, at the minute it's got a $19 billion market cap. I, I, it's, I do look at it and think, well, given the numbers it's putting up, I think that market cap could be a lot, lot higher. It just churn, unlike a lot of the other growth companies that we see in the US, it churns out free cash flow. The fact that they're having to do, they're already doing share buybacks, I think speaks to the quality of the business. Mm. Um, I think if you had a long enough view, I think at the, even at the all-time high, so it's down, it's basically been cut in half from the all-time high it had last year. I think if you had a long enough view, 
I, I think you could you could have justified paying that. I think if you bought the all time high with you, I'm going to hold this business for five years. I think you could still have beaten the market, but it depends. You, there's obviously more returns have been pulled forward then there is more risk and it's definitely a better mm-hmm. it's definitely a better investment at a p of 40 than at 80 and that you know when you were buying it at a p of it wasn't even a p of 80 then because it hadn't released these figures so i don't know i, I definitely like it at the current price i probably won't be adding any more to it just because it's even after the 47 percent pullback it is still a, a big position for me um mm-hmm. so i don't really need to add any more i don't think but no i, I think it's very I like the valuation a lot of the current price. Price. I don't think it's that hard to justify. Whereas I think at the previous levels, I think you could make an argument to justify it, but it was much more difficult because a lot more things needed to go right. Mm, no, fair enough. So of the companies this week, which one would you pick and why? I'd be going with Etsy for the reasons I've just <laughs> outlined. I, 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 do, I do really like it. Um, I was, I mean, we've actually covered, I think we've each covered, we've covered three businesses that each of us own. I think you've got yeah. Right Move, Racket and Centrica, and I've got Right Move, Money Supermarket and Etsy. I am biased a bit, but I think of the six businesses we've covered, I think, actually, no, the Racket, that's not fair on Racket probably, but I, I think Right Move, Money Supermarket and Etsy are all good businesses. I think the Right Move results were fantastic. I just don't see the same level of growth for Right Move that I do for Etsy. And I think, mm. you know, if, if you're going to pay 25 times earnings for right move, I'd pay 43 for Etsy instead every day of the week. Because you're talking about a business that's going to maybe grow at like 5 10% a year. There's going to be a premium baked in because it's a monopoly. Whereas with Etsy, I mean, that, this could grow at 20 or 30% for years. And money supermarkets, mm. a very good business, but it does have some issues at the moment. So, yeah, for me, it would be quite an easy choice with Etsy. What about you? Um, well... The opposite, really. I I like I do like Etsy, and I, I t- totally understand the reasoning. But I just I'd probably be nervous paying that much for it. Although I appreciate the quality that you're getting with it, I still think Right Move is extremely high quality, and those margins are seventy four percent. Really, really impressive. So I'd probably be sitting with Right Move still. Not Aston Martin. No, if we were looking at the least, you know, the least favourite company of the week, the bottom of the pile, it would be Aston Martin. I think it's actually... Lower than Centrica. I was was about to say, it's really quite impressive, actually, that we've managed to find a business worse than Centrica. (laughs) Fine. Well, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.